Welcome to the King Ugly podcast. Um, I am Serie. I'm the youngest. We have Case. Oh, hey. And Lonin. Yo. And Skyla. Hi. I hope you appreciate this. I'm missing the Chiefs game. <laughs> oh, my. That's her importance tonight. It's, we're taking her away from it. But aren't they on a that's, weather break? They are, but they'll come back. Oh, and okay. that's how much I love you guys Aww. and how much I want to talk about this book. Perfect. Okay, so we are talking about the book that we've been reading um, for book club. It's called Educated by Tara Westover. And so it's actually a book about Tara's life and how she grew up her family and um, how she grew to love gaining an education and why that happened, um, despite her growing up situation. To spite or despite? Despite. Just possibly two spikes. Well, yeah, mm, could maybe. Be both, yeah. I guess that's a philo- philo- <laughs> philosophical question. Right there. But, Not a grammar question, philosophical. <laughs> so we have a list of questions that we're going to go through, um, and we'll read the question, and then we'll each answer them as we feel like we need to and move on. So, Skyla, do you want to start with the first question? Sure. All right. So um, first question is... Hold on. Hold on. Wait. wait. Spoiler. Guys, if you haven't read the book, this is definitely going to be a spoiler episode. Okay? Uh, Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Good call. All right. So we are taking these questions from the New York Times article, um, their book club. Um, We really like these questions. They are real thought-provoking. So here we go. Question number one. Educated starts with an epigraph from Virginia Woolf. The past is beautiful because one never realizes an emotion at the time. It expands later, and thus we don't have complete emotions about the present, only the past. What do you think Wolf meant by this, and why do you think Tara Westover chose to begin her memoir this way? Well, for me, I mean, it took her looking back on her life and reading through her journals to, to, to one, come up with this book, and two, to deal with what had happened to her in the past. But why do you think that Virginia Woolf says that you can't have complete emotions in the present? Do you feel like that's true? I, I don't – I think that the way you've, – you've got to read kind of between the lines with that one in my opinion. It's not that you don't – you obviously do have all the emotions that are there. But when you can look back on it, you can see, you know, maybe where you were angry even though you necessarily maybe shouldn't have been. Or you're like – you can see all the, the emotions that you definitely had. And, and I guess maybe you're reacting to them later on. So – I don't know. Maybe maybe she's right. So maybe right. she's meaning like immature emotions, like as you as you grow and understand the situation better, your feelings on that mature, and you can like as a, a kid, you you see things very black and white, you see things very one dimensionally, and then as you become a grown up, you you can see a bigger picture, and maybe that's what she means. I I, I honestly don't agree with that statement at all. Um, I think that in my life, I experience the emotions forefront. I mean, while I'm in the moment and past, because my memory is still terrible. I don't know why. I've tried fixing it, taking pills for it, but my memory is just so terrible. Um, and so I don't get to experience the emotion that um, by looking back, I lose well, a lot of it. Do you realize all the emotion that's there? At that exact moment. I mean, like, say say you were in a fight with somebody, right? <clears throat> yeah, you, you have your, you know, the, the adrenaline, the fight, fight and flight response and that type of stuff. But 
do you actually have the all the emotions that are there or is it like one main emotion that that you are focusing on and then when you look back and maybe it doesn't happen with you but when you look back you can see these other emotions that you're like okay yeah i have some remorse even at that time or you know who knows i like what you're saying there lonan yeah like that i guess that does make a lot more sense that you put it that way to me and that's and that's what i I mean by what what you have to read between the lines in what she's saying, you know, thus we don't have complete emotions at the present, only in the past. So we have that one main one, but we don't have all of them that when we look back on it, we can go, oh yeah, there's these other things that were also in definitely a part of that. Well, and also after you look back at a situation, you know, like you never know where something's going to take you and like what it's going to I don't know. I guess what it's be- going to become in the future. So, like, yeah, how yeah, to change the projection you know, like, of your life. Yeah. And so, like, well, you're in that moment, you have emotions, but like looking back on it a year later or five years later or 10 years later, like you're probably going to have a lot more different emotions, like even like happiness towards a horrible situation, maybe because like that's the way it shaped your life. Like, and you wouldn't have been like in that same situation if it hadn't happened. And small things take on greater significance as you, you know, go farther from it, you know, um, talking to a certain person or um, taking a different route can in the moment mean very, very little. But as time passes, you they take on greater significance because of, again, like you said, and Sari and Lon and what you said, that you it, it changes your life and changes who you are. And so you can see greater meaning in that small moment. Yeah. Well, and also in, in her case, looking back after she had been educated that was quotes if you couldn't figure it out Um, interesting that you put quotes there (laughs) that that is interesting right but but what's it it is interesting and uh, and we can get to it later but but when she's educated in different ways then she can look back on it at a different time and 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 in a different way so I don't know. Yeah, but I think also she probably chose to start it with this quote because a lot of the things that happened to her, especially like in her childhood while she was still living in Idaho um, with her family, like all of that essentially was about survival. Like her family was, they were survi- survivalists. But like within that, like that's how they classified themselves as they were survivalists. Well, or other people classified them as that. But like she was trying to survive in her crazy I think crazy family, you know? And so I think obviously looking back or like in the moment, she was probably like, I'm just trying to live right now and not get my leg chopped off by this scrap metal thing, you know? Like, but like looking back on it, she's probably like angry and annoyed and like, but also looks back on it as like, okay, well, that definitely like changed how I looked at some things, you know? It was a learning experience. Yeah, for sure. I guess that the key word in that phrase that Virginia Woolf says is expand. It expands your thoughts or expands the, the meaning. I, I went back and looked at it real quick. And that's the number one thing that stuck out for me is looking back in the past, you expand your emotions towards that. Yeah, true. So, Excellent. Sorry, can I ask you a quick question? Sure. Why did you pick this book? Yeah, I have to agree. I'm just curious. What made you want to talk about this? Did you have to read it or did you? Oh, sorry. Go ahead. We read this book for another one of the book clubs that I'm in here in Anchorage. Um, And we read it, I don't know, probably must have been almost like a year ago. No, I really, 
I don't know. I just really liked it. I just thought it was interesting and it st stuck out to me. I don't know. I don't know. Like I just liked discussion it. discussion brought, was interesting to you or the, her life or. Yeah. I just, just feel like her life, like it's not, I don't know. I feel like if I would have been her situation, like I probably would not have ever gone the route she would have. And so I guess it's just interesting because it's so different than like anything I would have chosen. And so it's just kind of like fun to look at. The problem is, is that you didn't live that life. And so you don't really know of the choices that you would have done. I mean, <clears throat> that's one of the things that totally set her up for the way that she, you know, from what it basically says later on, and I don't know if it talks about it here in a second, but basically about that, you know, they were homeschooled, but really they weren't homeschooled. In in some ways, they definitely were not in the in the typical sense of the word, as in you know reading, writing, and arithmetic, but they were taught how to to make decisions for themselves. Mm, kind of, in some ways, yes. Sorta. <laughs> I agree with Kyle. On Sorry, sorta. Forced. I think forced to make their own decisions. Uh, I disagree with that entirely. No, forced? I totally agree. Okay, well, let's keep looking through the questions, and we'll probably get to some of that. So, um, Lana, do you want to do question two? Yep. In the first pages of Educated, we are introduced to the mountain in rural Idaho where the Westover family lives, described as a dark, beautiful, and commanding form in a jagged little patch of Idaho. How does this, uh, how does this setting inform the family experience? Uh, it's rural. It's in a mountain. <laughs> Sorry, Grippy's not here, so I have to be obvious. <laughs> like they're, oh they're by themselves. I don't know. I... I don't know. I feel like I really wanted, like when it said that it was in Idaho because I was born in Idaho, like I really wanted to be like, yeah, I can totally relate to that. But like I lived there for five years, so I really have no idea. Like, <laughs> And and differently for me, because I lived in Idaho also, well, six years, um, but they were, you know, later in my life. So I remember most of it. Um, and but we lived in a town, so it's a little different than the way she describes. Um, the, but the the dark, beautiful, commanding, um, jagged little patch of Idaho that reminds me of a knife. Um, dark, beautiful, commanding. It's it has use. It can be useful, but it can also be dangerous. And, and that's kind of how I took her description of the mountain and where they lived was, yeah, it's beautiful and you can find everything you need to live here, but it'll kill you in a half a second. Yeah, I think that is definitely very foreshadowing of how the rest of the, well, the rest of her life goes. I want to say book, but like this is literally her life. And so like, I think it's important that like, I, I acknowledge that, you know. I truthfully don't understand, so maybe I'm just like reading this wrong, but that how does the setting inform the family's experience? I, I don't I don't get what they're asking there. Maybe they're, I'm they're just asking, being dumb. <laughs> they're asking how does the setting give you more information of the family's experience, of the of being a part of this family, of that experience and how they live. How is that how is her description of where they live, how does that give you information about the family that isn't explicitly expressed? Hmm. I mean, okay. I think it like kind of explains a little bit more to why they have such the survivalist um, mindset, I guess, because they are by themselves. Like if something were to happen, like they need to be able to take care of themselves. They wouldn't be able to go to like a store that's really close to them or anything, you know? So, I mean, like we all have to take care of ourselves too, but most of us live pretty close to convenient things so yep 
Yeah, I don't think I could live that kind of rural life. Definitely not. Nope, nope way. Nope. No, I I sometimes think about it, you know, in a longing kind of way, but I'm like, well, no, that's too much work. That's way, way too much work. Thank you. That's how I feel, Skyla. Okay, um, we're going to move on to question three because it doesn't seem like anyone has really anything else to add to that. Um, so I'll read three. We are also introduced early in the books to the standoff at Ruby Ridge, a 1992 gunfight between FBI agents and United States Marshals and a heavily armed family on an isolated homestead. How does this incident cast a shadow over the Westover parents and children and the survivalism that characterizes their upbringing? Well, it's kind of a, a staple or the dad, the Westover dad, uh, Gene, I believe is his name. Yep. He, he's struck by this whole uh, thing between uh, what's the name of the people? The Weavers. Weavers. Yes. So I found they, that very interesting, Lonnen. I what? agree. No, I remember the Weavers. The Weavers. So, yeah, I remember the last name. I was like, I know that last name from somewhere. Dane had a good friend named David Weaver and Twin too. Yeah. So I just thought I, it was just it was kind of a one to hit home for a second. Um, but I obviously the dad took it to heart that the government were coming after his kids and his family and taking them away because of, they didn't go to school is what they he told the kids and that's what he believed it was i believe you, yeah i was gonna say that's what he believed happened but doesn't that's sound not, like do that's you exactly think what that happened. do you think that that's what really he really believed or do you think that he knew more but was trying to simplify it for his kids <sighs> I think um, I think he probably thought that like the main reason they were getting taken away was because they were homeschooled. But I think he probably maybe looked back on it later and was like, "There's probably more to it." If he didn't know it in the timing, I don't know. He kind of I don't know didn't. In later years, he had to know. I mean, the TV. He, I mean, obviously, he got a TV in later years. He uh, had a TV before that too. If you if you listen to oh, it, yeah, right. yeah. they had yeah. TV and then they got it away and then it came back and. Uh, Lonnie, do you remember Ruby Ridge? Yep, like not, not like heavily. I mean, I remember when it was happening. I remember Dad talking about it. I don't remember the specifics. And then, you know, listening to her recount a lot of it, it was like, oh yeah, okay, I remember that. Yep, same. Because we we actually lived in Idaho during this time. This went down. We did. Yeah, yeah, I absolutely. Yeah. I was only twelve when it happened. I was, I was only one, so I was negative one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you were. Yeah, you were. Um, I was 14 or 15, depending on what time of year it was. Um, and same with, with you, Lon, and I don't, I don't remember specifics. I remember it happening. Um, I do remember a lot of characterizations of the family that they were um, basically just awful people. And yeah. that was the Massive justification. Massive rednecks and, uh, and racist uh, and white yeah, supremacists. And, and, white supremacists and Aryan Nation people. Yeah. And uh, and so that was a lot of the justification of it. And I've honestly, I've never delved farther into it. Um, it's just not something I've ever felt the need to do. But Yeah, I haven't either. I, I wonder if, well, and I could be totally wrong, but if I remember correctly, Ruby Ridge was in northern Idaho. Like it was hundreds yeah. of miles from where the Westovers live. The Westovers live in su- southeastern Idaho, like almost closer to Utah than we did in Twins. Yeah, it's really, really close to Logan. Super close. And, really? Yeah, it's yeah. super close. It's it's well, clipped in Idaho. I, yeah. So, so I looked it up. Uh, and until I looked it up, I thought it was in Northern Idaho because he was talking about 
Ruby Ridge and knew this family, and they were hundreds of miles away, hundreds. Yeah, like mm. completely. That's interesting. And not only that, it was. I mean, after you, you know, it, it's really hard to know whether he knew the actual full extent of it or not. I mean, basically, the guy got. Yeah, I. That's it, it's. I don't know. I don't know what to say on it. Basically, you know, in my my opinion, he got totally railroaded on that one. But he did sell a, a shot off shotgun to a marshal, and you know, so yeah, well, he and, should have gone to jail for some of that. But the, it shouldn't the have FBI, started. Yeah, the FBI has definitely said that they did that the wrong way, and you know, have massive trainings happened after it and all of this. Um, but yeah, it shouldn't have happened. Absolutely. But you have to wonder how did Gene get his information? Yeah, at I this point, we don't that. we don't know at this point. She did not say whether they did or did not have a TV at this point, because she alludes to it in the in, in that in the past when when they finally get the TV and it's there from that point on pretty much, she alludes to the past where they had it every now and then, um, but she doesn't really remember. But that doesn't I mean she was seven years old at this point. Yeah, and she remembered being at Ruby Ridge. Right. right. I f- I remember. Well, I feel like. Uh, before we met Jason, I would have thought that was totally ridiculous. But telling Jason some of our stories and finding out that I totally made them up in my head, I'm like, oh, okay, well, now at least I know I'm not the only one who does that. Um, but, well, you know, just mixing things up in your head and, and imagining it and, you know, and then it becomes fact in your brain. Right. And, and that, I mean, so that's why you've also got to take in account some of this i'm not saying she's a liar or anything but she can totally remember something completely different now she did have the journals to back herself up but at that point she shouldn't but but some of them don't back her up on it either so i'm not saying that it is one way or the other i'm just saying that you know we all do have our own warped reality if you will that's why they say there's always three sides to a story your side my side and the truth right yep Fair enough. All right. Let's move on to number four. Um, I can read it, sorry. Real quick, real quick, real quick. Okay. Uh, So um, I just want to just put it out there. I mean, how far did you guys think town was from their house? Like 45 minutes. Yeah. 10 miles. 1.1 miles. (laughs) 1.1? Really? 1.1 miles. Like, (laughs) I found the Butterfly Express, which is their quality essential oils that they do now. And and you can actually zoom in on the you can see the the uh, the junkyard and then you can see where Buck's Peak is at and if it was forty five minutes away, Buck's Peak would not be right there. Like it would be somewhere completely different. So one point one miles to Papa Jay's. Wow. Wow. All right. Well. So so this also gives you a little bit into. I'm not again. I'm not trying to say she's, but you know she has a, a bit of a warped reality on some of this stuff. And they yeah, were off the said, main road. Yeah, she says she was. It was five, like a five mile drive, and it felt like fifty. Right. And some of those, it's like, well, obviously not. It wasn't a five mile, now, five mile drive. Maybe that's into Stokes. That's like in one of the other towns. That could absolutely be. But like hmm. their closest town, where Papa Jay's were, and the grandma and the grandpa, and all of them lived. That was one point one miles away. And Angie and them. Dang. Okay. Crazy. All right, Case. Sorry. Three, number four. All good. I'm good to know that one. So in chapter five, Westover's brother, Tyler, announces that he's going to college, something none of the other siblings have done. The two other two brothers that have left the mountain drive semis and weld scrap. Why does the Westover's father, Gene, object to formalized education? We'll start with that question first. He thinks that they're being... Because then he won't have total control and he wants total control. 
I don't think that has anything to do with it. Uh, like, I think he you literally... are deluded if you think no, that. No, the guy. Don't get me wrong. I mean, is who? He... Me or Lana and Skyla? I think Lana's deluded. No. Okay. No, like it. It wasn't over the. Con- I mean, was it control? Maybe, but it's because whether he was paranoid or not. I mean, he felt like that they were pushing socialism in schools at this time. Right now, I feel the same. Like, so there's a lot of the dad that I see in this that is like, dude, is that me? No. Am I that crazy? Absolutely not. But I I can, I can see why he did some of the things he did. Now, am, am I going to do some of the stuff he did with his kids? No, no, I'm not. But. Uh, and I think it's all about control. I think if it, a normal person who feels like they're pushing socialism in schools is going to when their kids get home and if you know if they have issues with that their their kids are going to get home and they're going to be like okay so let's talk about you know this and and I'll give you what I think it should be right normal person they're going to teach what they believe also so that their kids can make an informed decision but he doesn't want to give them the option to hear anything oh, um, the, he's not giving them the option to get any other narrative because he wants to be able to control the narrative. And so the basically the only socializing these kids do is at church, which again is a pretty controlled environment, and even that is not controlled enough for him. So I think that it's all about control for him. It's all about him wanting to know exactly what his children are learning and be the one who gets to say, yes, you're learning this. No, you're not learning this. This is important. This isn't important. And above all, my word is law. Uh, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know that I agree with that. I, I'm just saying because like, I, I feel like, you know, as a parent, it's, it's my right to teach the ch- to my children how I want to teach them. It's not the, it's not the government's. And it's not but if yours. you send them to school, then you are saying, okay, I'm cool with what you're teaching. And if I'm not cool with it, then I will also teach my kids what or I I'll take is them out. Like, and that's fine. You can totally do that. He totally did that. But Right. But th- see, that's that's his right. He didn't and actually whether, teach them. And I will agree with that. But uh, that leads me to something that I don't want to say. So never mind. Interesting. Okay. I mean, I can say it, but I mean, I I just feel like it's going to make people mad, so. Can you say it in a way that won't make people mad? I will try. When Griffith was taken out of high school because of his broken femur, and then the school didn't want to work with mom, she decided to homeschool him. And from what I saw, Griffith didn't get a formal education one bit. I don't disagree with that. No, it's definitely true. I'm thankful you said it, because now it just opens her eyes to it, but yeah. Right. Yeah, I get it. And and here's the thing: Did he get an an R R R? You know, triple R's, the reading, writing, and arithmetic. Did he get those <laughs> three things from mom? No. Did he get an education? Yeah. I mean, he came and he worked with me, and he came and he worked with dad. And I mean, you know, was there an education there? Yeah. Was it was it a a typical you know at school education? Absolutely not. Yeah, but what? But he still what, had but, a learning experience. And would Griff have benefited? More from that kind of education that he ended up getting or from a standard education. I think, honestly, he probably learned more from working with you and dad than he would have gotten in high school. Like, he already had formal years of education behind him. So it wasn't like there was no no formal education. Like, he learned how to read and write and do math. And no, did he do it as a senior in high school? No. Did he really need that? I don't think so. Like, Griff thinks outside the box. You know, like for him. But does he because of that? I mean, like, uh, so do no, I. he always but, did. 
he you, always you did. are correct. And maybe it would have reined that in a little bit, which I'm not saying is a good thing or a bad thing. <laughs> I, I, I'm just saying we don't know the consequences of that. But all I'm getting at is that you're saying that they didn't get an education, and neither did he. Right. He, except for he did, and so he, did they. He did. But, and, he also, and so but Brent did also got a formal education at some point. You you are correct. And, and it sounded like, like the mom tried formal, doing that. Yeah. And then she, not not our mom, that mom. Tara's no, mom. I know, yeah, I know, I know. And then she, you know, just uh, just was like, you know, I'm not gonna fight him anymore about them going out to the, um, going out to the junkyard. I'm just, I, I don't, you know, I'm gonna pick my battles. Yeah, and I get that, and I understand why it bothers you, Lonin. Um, but I think with Griff, it was, it wasn't about control, and I think with Tara's family, it was. And, and I, I agree with that. I, I think for Griff, it was, this is not working. Formalized education is not working. Well, and they wouldn't work with him after he broke his femur. Right. Right. And so... So, like, what do you do with that? Like, yeah, you pull him out of school and you give him what he needs. Sorry, Skyla. Yeah. No, you're fine. That's... Yeah, exactly. So, but with Tara's family, it was very much about controlling the narrative, about making sure that the flow of information into the, the home was checked was filtered for what the dad thought was appropriate. Yeah, maybe to a point, but again, we don't have enough backstory to really make that decision. So, I mean, like, we have Tara's point of view, and she's the youngest of seven. So, would that what point of view be completely youngest? different from your point of view, Skyla? Say that again. Sorry, I was laughing. No, I, I'm saying would that, like, if, if you were the one that were, was writing this book, say Tara was the oldest, not the youngest, Right. And she was she was able to go to school for a while. What was the reasoning for pulling them out of school? Like we don't have enough backstory to really make that judgment is what I'm getting at. Right. But at the point of Tara's education and that I use with quotes um, at the point of Tara's, you know, homeschool education, it wasn't. It was I'm going to teach you how to work in this junkyard. So you're trapped in this junkyard for the rest of your life and you'll never leave me. I, and see, I don't know. I don't know. I Did feel like he I prepare her for anything else? You don't know. I don't know. That's I feel the like problem. I can see Lonin's point of view where it's like he probably took them out of school because he was scared about what they were teaching him in school because I have had the same thoughts and the same fears about sending my own kids to school. However, right now, I, I, yeah, I'm the same way. However, I do think that, well, the intent at first of pulling his kids out of school and not giving them that formalized education was to keep them safe, quotation marks. Um, I think it turned into a control thing for him where all he wanted to do was know that they were safe, again, quotation marks, because he was giving them all the information, we can go quotation marks around that too, that they needed. Like, I think maybe what started off is like, I'm trying to love you and keep you safe turned into, but I'm going to be in control of your whole life. Yeah, I agree with that. From her perspective. From we her perspective. Uh, agreed. We don't know uh, anyone else's perspective, but we have to go over, go off of what we have from her. And that's all we can go off of because that's what we read. Yes. Okay. So should I take the Griffith story out? <laughs> I don't. <laughs> I don't know. It turned into a good conversation about, but I just think like I'm not how like you started. It to, sounds awful. It does sound awful, and that, that's. But I don't know how to say it any nicer than that because it didn't happen. Now, 
yeah, I mean, like, so I, I think don't you know. could have said when Griff was pulled out of school, he was not given a formalized education, but he was given Agreed. an education of work experience. Agreed. Yeah, but and then that it's not mean, a whole lot different fast. than than it, Tara's. She was Except given. It is. Except now, Griff she was did given, have formalized education. You are correct. But, he but, had formalized education for ten or not in how many years? Nine, ten years previous. Well, yeah, you've got ten years because kindergarten. So ten years previous of education, formalized school education. I think he's going to be okay as far as the academic side goes, unless he wants to be a doctor or a lawyer or something. I guess, which never seemed to fit Griff's personality. So, <laughs> no, it doesn't. All right. So back to the uh, college. <laughs> so how was Tyler's leaving? Did it have an impact on Tara? It made it possible. Like it became a possibility in her mind. But did it though? Until Sean, right? Yeah, Started, I don't. I, I don't think, think it, it was. A, I didn't think it changed her mind until Sean. Uh, I don't think it changed her mind. I think there was it a scene. opened her eye. Like something has to open her eyes. You know, like she opened. He opened the window. Yeah, I mean, like we talk about. I don't know. Like something had to plant the seed. That was what planted the seed. Was him going to school first. Yeah, and then she was like, "Oh, that's something that can be done." But I don't what, think she had applied it to herself yet. Was t- so Tony and Sean are both the ones that were gone, right? Tyler, no, to- no, Tony, so yeah, like, yeah, yeah. The Me two brothers, yeah. the two brothers that have left and drive and drive semis and weld scrap. Sean was the one that welded scrap. Tony was the one that did semis. Yeah. Yep. And then Sean comes. Sure. Back. Okay. Okay. Um. Let's move on. Number five, Skyla, your turn. Oh wait, no, sorry, my turn. Okay, hang on. All right. In the author's note, Westover cautions that this memoir is not about Mormonism or any form of religious belief and that she rejects a negative or positive correlation between believing or not believing and being kind or not being kind. But her father, Gene Faith, informs how he sees the world. What did you make of the of chapter eight, Tiny Harlots, which moves from Gene's distrust of Westover's dance recital, dance recital uniform to his pride over her singing in church? I think those are two entirely different questions. Totally. Yeah. I'm, that's, I'm like, what, how do they put in on the exact same line? Yeah. That doesn't make any sense. Those are two totally different questions. Totally All right, so, um, So she talks about um, rejecting a negative or positive correlation between believing um, or not believing and being kind and unkind. Um, and that her father's faith informs how, see, how he sees the world. So how, how did his faith inform how he saw the world? Do you think he saw it in from her, from her point of view? He was crazy. I mean, let's be honest. The most extreme point of view ever, in my opinion. Yeah, that's how I feel about it. Like, I just feel like he took what the church teaches and was like, "Okay, well, I'm going to do that to the most extreme extent I possibly can." Like, I mean, it goes down to the in the beginning of the book when they start talking about how he cut out milk because it didn't say in the Bible. That yeah, it was milk, milk or honey. They had no. They had honey. They no, had no, honey and like bread. it didn't. Yeah, it didn't. No, it was milk or honey. They didn't make a decision on like the Bible didn't say which one was the better one to choose. So he prayed about it and he got the revelation oh, that milk was bad. Milk was the bad one, right? Because he, yeah, yeah. So I think he Thank just you. was not able to take. I don't know. I feel like he was. I don't know. Um, I like when I read this, that's also part of the reason because I did pick this book for our book club when I previously read it. And what drew me to it was the fact that she grew up in a um, household that were members, were Mormons. Um, And so 
like I just find that I mean I mean that's how I grew up so I find that interesting and I like to read things about it um but I don't know I just I feel like he I don't know I don't I think he used the church and his faith when it benefited him and he didn't really live gospel teachings in my opinion well it depends on how you read the scriptures on that type of stuff too but like so on the tiny harlots thing i you know i i know some some people that they don't let their girls do dance class because of the same type of a deal and i look at it and it's just like look you know yeah if they're if they're bumping and grinding that's one thing but i mean if they're doing ballet or or something you know to that level you know that's that's a completely different standard but they won't let them do it at all just in case. Well, it, the uh, thing that makes me think about it is that the whole fact is about a leotard. Well, Sari wore a leotard for most of her childhood. Basically. Yeah, but I honestly feel like that was a sore subject between mom and dad. And I'm not positive on that, but I do feel like that conversation may have had, had been had once or twice oh, I, about whether that was appropriate or not. Because yeah. when I that, started gymnastics, yeah. like Ta always wore short with her leotard, and I always had a unitard. Always. And then, like, gradually, the more I did it, I went into, like, normal Leos, and it wasn't that big of a deal. But, like, but it started out that, like, I was very modest in, like, I was as modest as you could be in a gymnastics leotard, like, suit, I guess is what we'll call it. See, and I think it went, so it kind of went from one extreme-ish, right, with mom and dad to a lesser extreme where it was like, okay, whatever, versus where... Uh, Gene, it went the exact opposite way. He he took it the exact opposite way and was like, oh, I can't, you know, you can't, nothing. You know, I'm going to make her wear boys clothes so that, you know, none of her female characteristics are showing, right? And and I, I actually had a, a guy in one of my wards in Pahrump, same type of deal, you know, wouldn't let his daughters go swimming because the swimming suits that were available, in his opinion, were too revealing. Which there definitely are some there, but you can there find, are. yeah, you can find ones that work though. Yeah, you right. can find he more would, modest. He made options. them, you know, he made them if they did go, made them wear a swimsuit plus like men's shorts down to the knee and and, and t-shirts like every time. And you know, I'm, it, you know, do I want my my daughters being lusted after because they're wearing a swimsuit? No. But I also don't want them to be completely mocked. But part of, of that, I I don't know. We're getting off track. But I also feel like part of that is being comfortable in your body and being okay with your body. And I think if you're always covering up your body, like to that extent, like never showing anything. I guess like not that I'm saying like show show all the goods. Like don't like I'm not for that. You know, like you should be able to wear a fitted shirt and it should be okay. You know, like just my opinion. But we are off subject. So. I'm going to try of. to get us kind of, I'm going to try to get us back on, but I, I feel like, I feel like at the dance recital, like it wasn't something that like Jean knew about, right? Like she was doing dance without his knowledge. Yes. Right. Right. Well, so, they were all in these big bulky, like all the little girls were in little cute Leo or whatever the heck you want to call them, little outfits. Right. But then all of her girls were all in what big bulky sweatshirts. Yeah, sweatshirts and uh, some sweatpants. Like uh, yeah, yeah, that was sweatpants too. You know, but but yeah, I mean, like, geez, Louise. I mean, talking about taking it to an extreme, and then and then his his pride over her singing in church. It's just like you know, she's still. What's the word I'm looking for? She she's still an object of. Um, oh man, I don't know the word I'm looking for. I apologize. 
I don't, yeah. I don't know either. I know. I feel like I know where your brain's going. Go case. No, it just, the thing that he's so prideful, I mean, so full of pride for her singing because it doesn't require her womanly or her body to be shown to do that kind of thing. She but it's still use. an object of attraction. I yes, mean, absolutely. And, and actually, I, I watched something on it and she, she sang Come Come Me Saints and she's got a really good voice. <laughs> oh, really? Cool. Skylar, you're awfully quiet. She's watching the game. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Rude. Probably right. is. Okay, we'll move on. Yeah. Okay, Lana, um, you want to do six? Yep. By chapter 12, Fish Eyes, we are introduced to Sean's abuse over Westover and the other women in his life, which reoccurs through the book. When Westover starts crying over one of these early incidents, she writes that she is crying from the pain, not from Sean hurting her, and that she sees herself as unbreakable. She also writes that th- that his abuse... She also writes that his abuse not affecting her was its effect, which is why is this insight important? Okay, hang on. I'm not going to answer this question. I just realized I was on mute. I wasn't watching the game. (laughs) I adjusted my headset and I was on mute. And I'm like, no, wait, you guys. No, wait, wait. I wanted to say something. Okay, so you want to go back and add anything to the last question first? Yeah, let me add something to the last question because I really wanted – I was quiet because I was waiting for people to stop talking and then I realized you couldn't hear me. Um, Okay, so is it – does it matter what a little girl wears in that – can you look at a girl and go, oh, well, she's a tiny little harlot, isn't she? Is there anything a little girl could wear that would make that response appropriate? For me, no. For I mean, other not people, appropriate, probably. but people say it, but, I'm But sure. does it make it appropriate? Does it make it appropriate when you call anyone that? Yeah. Is there anything that a girl or a woman could wear? That, and I'm not talking about actions. I'm just talking about wardrobe here. Is there anything that a girl or a woman could wear that would make the response, you look like a harlot, you look like a whore, an acceptable response? Is there anything that your daughters could wear that you would say that to them? Mm, say it? No. Think it? Think it. <laughs> because I don't think there is anything that any person could wear that would make that response okay. And the fact that her brother did it, her dad did it, uh, he had her doing it to other women over a v-neck shirt that's not about modesty that is again about control yeah i mean like i don't think there's a situation where that is okay for sure i feel like i could and not necessarily in those words but like if i had a daughter and she was going out in something not appropriate to be in i would probably be like you know that's not appropriate you don't look like you're about to go do good things you know or something along those lines but i also I mean, like, I don't think calling anyone that is appropriate. It's not. I don't kind. think about. Yeah, I don't think about that. It's it's appropriate. I agree with Sari, but there's times I'm not gonna say. You know, you look like a whore. It's not gonna come out of my mouth. But I'm gonna be like, you know, that's not something that you should be wearing. Like, uh, like I don't even know if I would think that. You know, you look like a whore. That's not what I'm. I don't think I would get to that point. But I would be like, look, I I don't need some guy. You know, yeah. I I don't I don't know. And yes, should guys be able to manage their own thoughts yeah absolutely but it, it certainly doesn't help when when women are wearing things that are women have been assaulted lusted after and raped since we were wearing clothes down to the ankles it doesn't matter yeah. what we wear so it doesn't matter what we wear so this whole i disagree with that i i disagree in that that there is some things that at a point are immodest to the point of you know 
what what are you trying to get across by wearing that? Not not what am yeah, I thinking I of what you're trying to get across, but what are you trying to get across by wearing that? Yeah, and that is in a totally that's a totally appropriate conversation to have with your child to say, all right, okay, wh- why are we wearing this? What are you trying? What is your purpose in wearing this? And that is a totally appropriate conversation. But to for her family, I, I agree. I'm I'm absolutely agree. I do not think that. I mean, making making your any of your kids or siblings feel that way over something they're wearing is, is absolutely not something that that should happen. Absolutely. Sorry that I cut you off. <laughs> oh, that's fine. Um, I, I just I think that that again, is another control issue because Sean would do the same thing when he wanted to to get under her skin or he wanted to make her feel really bad. He would say things like that. And then, you know, when she goes to BYU later, and spoiler, um, when she goes to BYU later and her roommate is wearing like a V-neck shirt or a, a skirt that's, you know, up to her knee, she thinks the same thing. And I just think that that's an important conversation that like people need to have that it doesn't matter what you wear if like modesty has to be a personal choice because I know Sari, you and I have different ideas on modesty and I have different ideas from Tosh on modesty and we all have different ideas on modesty from mom. And so like, I think it has to be a personal choice and, and just what her family did and made her think about other women. Just it, sorry, it spun me up. I don't know if you could tell, but it bothered me. <laughs> well, it, it bothered me too. It's, I mean, it's it's absolutely ridiculous. There's no doubt about it. I mean, for her dad to be judging somebody else because of what they were, yeah, that that's not up to him. That's up to her and her her God. You know, if that's what how she believes that she's modest, then then that's her decision. It's not his. I will agree with one that. Of the, one of the craziest lines in that thing is in the book somewhere. He's Jean says, "Well, she waited till I was looking at her to bend over to pick something up." So yes. I didn't see that. And that drove me nuts. Like, it's disgusting. Uh, no, that was you. You chose to keep looking at her when she bent over. That was your choice. And then he turned her into the sinner. Yeah, she was her fault because now he's thinking lewd things. No, he's thinking impure thoughts because of her. No, no, no. She's not the sinner, dude. You are. And that's one of the things that I wanted to like make sure. Thank you for reminding me of that case. But like, talk about because I'm I'm raising two kids. I've got a 14 year old and a two girls, 14 year and 11 year old, and we're already starting to have these conversations about what's modest. And and I'm starting, you know, and and I'm realizing that that has to be a conversation. It can't be a lay down the law kind of thing. Yeah. Mm, no, I've, I, don't I don't know. know. I, I mean, mm, at, I don't know. at the age of 14, I, you know, they think that a lot more things are modest than, than I agree with. And, you know, well, and I'm not saying I'm going to let her pick everything. Like I have guidelines. You're going to pick your battles. To, yeah. It has to be a conversation between me and Mike and her. And we have to come together because if I just say, no, you're not wearing that, that's awful, it's terrible, it, there's there's no growth there. She just, you know, she doesn't understand why, and she doesn't respect it. And so as soon as she can get away with it, she'll stop doing it. But if it's a conversation, 
and then we can all grow together and we can see the benefits and and the you know the pros and cons of of the different choices and she can benefit from our experience and we can benefit from you know her different point of view and but in in Tara's family it was very much a lay down the law and we're going to use our standards to judge everybody else yeah well and that's I can, the problem totally is judging other people based off of your standards so that's wrong anyway yeah definitely yep. okay i'm sorry i didn't mean to bring us back to that for that long so we can move on to the next one thank you because okay. we're 57 minutes into this oh my of gosh. course we are okay we're gonna talk fast Lonnie, read six okay by chapter Again. 12 fish eyes we are introduced to sean's abuse over westover and the other women in his life which recurs throughout the book when Tara starts crying over one of these early incidents. She writes that she is crying from the pain, not from Sean hurting her, and that she sees herself as unbreakable. She also writes that his abuse is not affecting her. What it's a wh wait. She also writes that his abuse not affecting her was its effect. Why is that insight important? Because it should have affected her. It did because affect her. I mean, like, it, let's be honest. It did, but she had to make it. I, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. I mean, no, no, did, but but it, it had it affected her. But she had to come up with something to justify it. I I, I think it, the effect on her was that she shut down. She just. She completely, she didn't let herself get hurt. She didn't let herself feel anything, joy, pain, nothing. She just shut down. Uh, uh, are you saying just... that she, sorry again, I did it again. Go ahead. <laughs> You're good. I cut you off. I'm sorry. Uh, I was just thinking she did feel things. I mean, she felt the joy. She loved her brother, Sean. Um, but she just, like Scott said, she did shut down in those moments when he was taking control and abusing her. Like, we all know the fact that he did. Like, no doubt in our minds that he's the one that's, that's he's the problem there. Um, but she shut down in the moment because she didn't know what else to do. And right. had well, to and, figure out a way to still love her brother. Right. And, she needed a way to justify it. And if she had responded, if she had freaked out, if she had, you know, made it a would big only deal. Made things worse. It would Yeah. I mean, how many times have I been told, just stop reacting? Right. She sees herself as unbreakable, but obviously she's not. And, and every time something like this happens to her, it breaks her more and more. Um, but she can't see it because she can't admit it. She can't admit it to herself because she doesn't want to admit it to herself. I mean, and you can see, it, it would be really interesting to see how she wrote that in her journal versus how she wrote that in the book. Yeah. Because at the journal that happened right then, and then in the book, obviously, she had some time to, to you know, really participate on that. Yeah. And some therapy. All right, guys. Well, thanks for listening to part one of this podcast. It is really long, over two hours. So we're going to split this up into two segments. And I will post the other part of it this week. So stay ugly and stay tuned.